Okay, we're in chapter three of Shmuel Bet, and the verses at the beginning let us know who David's sons are, who his wives are, which wives gave birth to which sons. And we saw that the firstborn is Amnon, the son of Achinoam, then Kilav, the son of Avigail. After that, Avshalom, the son of Macha, and after Avshalom, Odaniyahu, the son of Chagit. So we saw that out of the first four sons listed here, three out of the first four, Amnon, Avshalom, and Adaniyahu, they were all bad kids. Amnon raped his half-sister Tamar. Avshalom and Adaniyahu rebelled against their own father. Only Kilav, the son of Avigail, ended up a mensch out of those first four. And we discussed last time what was special about Kilav, how he got his name, because in Chronicles, he's called Daniel. And we also examined kind of thoroughly what might have caused David's sons to go awry, go off the derech. It could be that after going through such tough times, maybe he spoiled his kids. We saw in the Midrash Tanchuma, Parshat Shmot, that David is given as an example as someone who was too soft on his kids. They bring the verse in Proverbs, spare the rod, spoil the child, and they applied that to David in the way he raised his kids. So maybe they were spoiled rich kids. I don't know. Now you might ask, where is Solomon in all this? Where is Shlomo? Well, what do the verses say here? These are the children born to David in Hebron. You see, Solomon was born much later on when David was king over all of Israel, which was much later on. So Solomon was not born in Hebron. His mother, Bathsheba, she's not listed here yet. That whole Bathsheba, David story happens later on, much later on in David's career when he's king over all of Israel. And so Shlomo, he's a Yerushalmi. He's a Jerusalem kid. And these other ones here are from Hebron. And so you got to remember, there's a significant age difference between Solomon and his brothers here, born in Hebron. And that's part of the reason that Odaniyahu, at the beginning of Kings 1, he will declare himself as king, de facto, because Amnon and Avshalom already dead at that point. And he's the next in line if you take out Kilav. When Adaniyahu began his rebellion against David, Solomon at that time was a 13-year-old boy and Odaniyahu was like 40 already. So he saw it as the natural progression of things that he'll rule. Anyway, let's get back to our chapter. We have not finished learning about David's sons. There are some more sons and more wives to be mentioned, though they're not as famous as the first ones. Okay, so after Odaniyahu, who was the fourth son, we have the verse, Vechamishi, and the fifth son, Shephatiah ben Avital. So that's the name of the fifth son, Shephatiah, from the word Shofet. The name has the same exact significance as the name Yehoshaphat, which means Hashem judges the land. So here it's a Shephatiah. Here the name of Hashem comes after Shofet, where in Yehoshaphat, first you have the name of Hashem and then you have Shofet, but it's the same idea, Shephatiah, Hashem, he rules. And who is Avital, his mother? According to the Datsofrim, most likely she's a local girl. She's from Hebron. And it says in Masechet Ketubot 62 that from the son Shvatiah were descended Hillel and his family. And that included Rabbi Yehuda Nasi, who in the Talmud is called Rebbe. So we have some heavy duty rabbis descended from Shvatiah ben Avital. Okay, and the final son mentioned here is Yitram ben Egla. Yitram, the son of Egla. Now there's a machloket about this last wife who's mentioned here. Her name is Egla. Now, Egla means calf. A baby cow is an Egla. And in Tractate Sanhedrin, page 21, it says that Egla was Michal. Remember Michal? That was David's first wife, Michal, the daughter of Saul, 
who was not even with him at this point because she was given over to Palti ben Laish. It's a whole story. But according to the Gemara, Michal is showing up here in the name of Egla. Now, why would Michal be nicknamed Egla? Which again means a little cow, a heifer. Why would you call your wife a heifer? Well, it's because that in those days, that was a term of affection. It was fashionable to call your wife, my Egla, my little cow. And the sages bring a verse in Judges chapter 14, where Samson says to the Philistines there, he says, if you weren't plowing my heifer, you wouldn't have known that riddle. That is, if you weren't with my wife, you would not have known what I asked. Anyway, we see that Egla here is a term of endearment. And being that Michal was David's first wife and favorite wife and a princess, she's the daughter of a king. So she's called here Egla, heifer. So I think you could tell from that, that in those days, you know, skinny, twiggy model types, that wasn't considered attractive. Maybe it was considered more attractive then, you know, to have some meat on you. Certainly today, if you called a woman a cow, you know, she wouldn't take to it very well. But you could point out here in the Tanakh, Egla is a term of affection. And again, apparently that was considered more attractive than, than the stick figure models of today. Okay, but there's a problem with saying that Egla was Michal, other than saying that Michal was a cow. No, there's another problem with it. Why? Because it says that she was the mother of Yitram, right? And it's problematic because if you go forward to chapter six, a few chapters from now, we see there that David and Michal are having their famous argument, how David was dancing with the, uh, with the ark and so forth. And they're having this argument of husband and wife. And the last verse of that chapter is like this. And Michal, the daughter of Saul, did not have a child to the day of her death. So if you look at that verse, the simple understanding would be that she never had children. That's what it says. She didn't have children until the day of her death. But the Talmud understands it like this. Until the day of her death, she didn't have children. That is, after this argument, after this incident, until the day she died, she didn't have children. But prior to that incident, she did have a child. Now, something else that may support the fact that Michal is indeed Egla here because she's the only one out of all the women mentioned here, where it says, Eshet David, that is when the scripture gives the names of Avigal and Chagit and Achinoam, it just gives their names. It doesn't say David's wives. Now, of course they are David's wives, but the point is scripture doesn't add that. But here it says, and the sixth child was Yitram from Egla, Eshet David, David's wife. Only for her, it says Eshet David. So that can also be a nice little proof that Michal, his first and his favorite, she's his wife. So maybe Michal is Egla. And the nice thing also is that she had a child here. Because if you look at the Pshat in chapter six, it says she never had a child to the day of her death. But now we see, yeah, maybe she did have a child before that quarrel. Now, the only thing that bothers me a little bit in saying that Michal is Egla is the next verse we're going to read. And we already said it at the beginning. It reiterates that these were the sons born to David in Hebron. And Michal was mostly with David after he leaves Hebron and becomes king of all of Israel and bases himself in Jerusalem. But it could very well be that she was with David enough in Hebron at the very beginning to have a child there. So after mentioning Egla, the verse concludes, Eli yaldule David bechevron. These were the children that were born to David in Hebron. So like I said, there are other kids who are going to be born when David gets to Jerusalem, such as Solomon, who's the heir to the throne, but nobody knows it yet. But these boys here, 
Amnon, Kilav, Avshalom, Adoniyahu, Shephatiah. They're the first sons and the eldest. Okay, so that takes care of David's sons and his wives. But now we return to the plot of the war between the houses, house of Beit Shaul and Beit David, and that's verse 6. Vahia milchama ben Beit Shaul or ben Beit David, and there was a war between the house of Saul and the house of David. Avner and Avner was strengthening his position in the house of Saul. Okay, so as we mentioned, Avner, he's the boss in Beit Shaul. And we explained earlier his thinking. Why is he continuing with Saul's dynasty, making Ishboshet king over Israel? If there's a known prophecy at this point, it's known that the kingdom is supposed to be passed on to David. Well, Avner could be saying like this How do you know? when that prophecy is supposed to manifest itself. After all, when David was anointed in Bethlehem, it wasn't intended right off the bat that he would be the king and Saul would step down and David take over. So there has to be a transition period before it's David's turn to rule. And Avner was holding that David's time hadn't come yet. And we mentioned a couple lessons ago that he was relying on the verse when God says to Jacob, Melachim Michalatzecha Yatzau, which means two kings, will come out of your loins. So since the tribe of Benjamin was the only tribe that wasn't born yet, and they're going to come out of his loins in the future, he's thinking two kings are going to be descended from Benjamin. Melachim Yitzu in the plural, Saul and Ishboshet. That's how Avner justified what he was doing. But now we're going to see a quarrel develop between Avner and Ishboshet, which is going to change everything. Okay, so we saw in verse 6 that Avner was strengthening his position in Beit Shaul. And that's because when there's war and hostility, his position becomes stronger because he's head of the military and he's becoming even more dominant than usual in the house of Saul, especially when Ishboshet, we see, isn't the fighting type. And the Malbim says that you can tell that Avner is feeling really powerful in the house of Saul because we'll see in the next verses how Avner just acts and says whatever he feels like. He has no fear of Ishboshet. And we'll see that now in verse 7. It goes like this. Ula Shaul Pilegish. And Saul had a concubine. Ushma Ritzba Bat Aya. And her name was Ritzba, the daughter of Aya. Ritzba, by the way, means hot coal. So she was a hot coal. So Saul had a concubine whose name was Ritzba Bat Aya. Vayomer And he said to Avner. So it doesn't say who said to Avner. But it's obvious from the context, we're talking about Ishboshet, that Ishboshet said to Avner, Why did you go into my father's concubine? In other words, why are you having relations with my father's concubine? Okay, so that's how this whole argument is going to start. Ishboshet suspects Avner of being intimate with his father's concubine. And if it's true, that's not okay. Because not only does it dishonor the memory of King Saul, but it's also forbidden because the widow of the king is forbidden to any non-king. That is, the widow of a king can't marry anybody else, but there actually is a dispute if she could marry another king. Now, in this case, Ritzba Badaya, she's not a wife, she's a concubine, which means she doesn't have ketubah, she doesn't have kedushin, but it doesn't matter. She is still considered a widow of the king. Now, it may be that Avner considers himself like a king. It says he's strengthening his position. He's feeling like a king. And maybe he is finding a leniency here that Ritzba Bataya, Saul's concubine, is not off limits to him because, again, in his mind, he's like a king. And secondly, she's only a concubine, so maybe he does find a cooler there, a place to be lenient. 
But then again, who says that it's true that Avde was with her in the first place? We see that Ishboshet suspects him, but scripture doesn't say that Avner actually was with her. Maybe he was, but we don't know for sure. All we know is that Ishboshet accuses him of it. Okay, now we'll see that Avner, he doesn't deny it. He doesn't deny it. Instead, he'll answer Ishboshet in a real nasty way. But just stepping back and looking at the big picture, we see how Hashem is orchestrating events in a very natural way. The kingdom of Ishboshet and Avner, it's getting weaker, as the verses say. And now, to make the whole thing just fall apart, Hashem places suspicion in Ishboshet's head. Maybe he saw Avner talking to Saul's widow. Maybe Avner really was with Saul's widow. And even if he wasn't, it's in Ishboshet's mind that they're having relations and the suspicion and the anger between them that comes out of this, that's going to break up the house of Saul. And this is what the Ralbag writes. And Hashem orchestrates events and weaves the plots that a quarrel emerges between Avner and Ishboshet. So like anything else, this quarrel is from Shemayim. This is going to bring David even closer to the Malchut. But again, it's important to see how God works through a combination of emotions and jealousies and facts on the ground. And in the most natural way, the person sees, he hears, he feels something. In the end, he will behave in a way that will elicit the result that Hashem wants. But again, it's very natural. You don't feel it's God orchestrating events. Everybody just seems to be living their life. It all seems like the most natural thing in the world, but a Jew's got to put on his Jewish glasses, his ashkocha lenses, to realize it's all from Hashem here. Okay, so let's see Avner's angry response to the accusation of Ishboshet. And that's verse 8. Vayichar Avner ma'od al Ishboshet. And Avner became very infuriated at the words of Ishboshet. Okay, again, we don't know if the accusation is true or not. Maybe Avner is angry at Ishboshet because it's a false charge. Or maybe Avner really was with Ritzba Bataya and he thinks he's allowed to be. But whatever it is, we're going to see a nasty reaction coming out of Avner. And he says like this, And Avner became furious with Ishboshet and he said, Which means, Am I the head of the dogs which belong to Yehuda? That's the literal translation, and we'll see what that means in a minute. It certainly doesn't sound nice. And he continues, Should I do kindness with the house of Saul and to his family and his friends, like I've been doing up to now? And I haven't handed you over to David. And yet you accuse me of an offense involving this woman? So Avner is saying to Ishboshet, After all I've done for you and your family, you accuse me of this? You've been lucky up to now that I haven't handed you over to David. Is this the thanks I get for doing this favor for you and your family? So according to that, Avner is saying to Ishboshet, you owe me for all I've done for you. That's what it seems to be that Avner is saying to Ishboshet, and it could be interpreted like this. How can you expect me to continue helping you and supporting you when you accuse me of such things? That might also be what he's saying. Now, a lot of commentators, they want to learn out from Avner's reaction here that he really was with Ritzba Bataya. And he admits it here. And he's angry with Ishboshet for taking him to task over what he thinks is a trivial matter. That is, intimacy with Saul's concubine is no big deal. Now, why do the commentators say that? Because Avner says to Ishboshet, and you accuse me today with the guilt concerning this woman? So that sounds a little bit like he's admitting 
that he was with her. In any case, Avner is now going to blow this whole thing up and he's going to bring the kingdom to David, seemingly as a result of this quarrel. Or maybe this quarrel was like the last straw for Avner. Maybe there were other things he saw in Ishboshet that just turned him off. And don't forget, the verses keep saying that Beit David is strengthening and Beit Saul is weakening. So that, you know, kind of makes it easier for Avner to get out. Now, we can't really know all his motivations, but one thing's for sure, his answer to Ishboshet and the way he talks to him, it's nasty and it's inappropriate. Like, what is this thing that he said? Rosh Kelev Anochi Asher Leuda. What does that mean? Literally, he's saying, what? Am I a dog's head for Yehuda? Or maybe literally it's, am I the head of the dogs of Yehuda? Now, whatever that means, it sounds mean. But what does it mean? Wait a minute, did I just say the word mean three times? So according to many commentaries, he's saying like this, you're treating me like the Rosh HaKlavim, like the head of the dogs in Yehuda. That is, by accusing me this way, you're not only treating me like a dog or the dog master, but a dog over in Yehuda who we hate. So it's like the lowest of the low, a dog watchman who is in Yehuda, not even Binyamin. At least if you called me a dog watchman in Binyamin, it's not so bad. But a dog watchman in the hated Yehuda, that's not nice. And so he's saying, even if I were a dog watchman, and not for you, but for your enemy, David, you shouldn't have insulted me that way. Now, another interpretation is like this. Avner is saying to Ishboshet, I would rather be head of the dogs in Yehuda than to be the head of your house in Binyamin. Okay, so Avner is now suddenly going to turn his back on Ishboshet and the house of Saul. He's going to blow it all up. As we'll see now in verses 9 and 10, he says like this. So Avner is using here what we call Lashon Shvua when he says to emphasize his words. He swears and he says, as the Lord has sworn to David, so I will do for him. That is, the Lord has promised to David that he'll be the king. So I'm going to carry that out. What will he do? That's the next verse. I'm going to transfer the kingdom from the house of Saul. And establish David's throne over Israel and Judah. From Dan to Beersheba. So Avner is saying, there's a promise to David to rule. And I'm going to help him set that up. Now, what caused Avner's turnaround? Why does he now think it's David's time? Was it just because he's angry at Ishboshet? It's hard to say. But what you can say is that Avner is showing poor character because he's talking to Ishboshet. You were super loyal to him. You called him your king. And now you just turn on him at a dime. And you're doing it in a nasty way by saying, what am I, the head of the dogs of Yehuda? Is that the way to talk to someone who you called your king? Just his whole attitude here is, isn't a good look for Avner. Because like I said, up to now, Ishboshet is his king. And look how he's talking to him now. And I want to read now what Rabbi Kahana says about Avner's change of heart and sudden support for David. He writes like this. We see that Hashem's supervision is unpreventable. A Kodesh was orchestrating events so that Avner, who up to now was opposing David, is going to now help him arrive to the Malchut, 
And Avner himself doesn't even understand what he's saying. He's admitting here in this verse that Kodesh Baruch Hu swore to David that he'll be the king. So if that's so, why were you fighting it up to now? And for that, Avner is worthy of punishment because he's really only filling God's decree out of his own ego and arrogance. He's not really bringing the Malchut to David because Hashem said so, but because he's personally insulted or whatever other interest he may have. In any case, it's clear that Avner doesn't see the big picture here, that it's a Kodesh Baruch Hu who's the deciding factor here, and he's just a vehicle for that. Okay, we're going to stop here. A big change is underway. Avner, who's been propping up Beit Shaul up to now, is going to go to the other side. He decides not to go over to David. He's going to decide to go over to Hebron, to David, and help David be king over all of Israel. In the meantime, Ishboshet is kind of left hanging there. What's he going to do without Avner? Not much. And we'll check out next week how this all works out.